Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to CNN Tonight. I'm Jake Tapper. We're just one week away from the critical midterm elections. One week. And in this final stretch of these races, one key issue for voters is now surging to the front of the pack of issues, according to polls, and that issue is crime. Tonight, we're going to try to explain why this issue seems to be resonating with so many voters, and we'll investigate whether the perception of rising crime matches reality. So let's begin by examining this through the lens of one particular high-profile assault. David DePap, the man accused of attacking Paul Pelosi last week, He entered a not guilty plea just a few hours ago to all state charges during his initial court appearance. According to the alleged assailant's own words, quoted in an affidavit, DePap's main target was House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. A sharer of far-right conspiracy theories, DePap allegedly intended to break her kneecaps with a hammer. Today, DePap's attorney addressed reporters outside the courtroom. There's also been a lot of uh, speculation regarding Mr. DePap's Um, vulnerability to to, um, misinformation. Now, this story is one about misinformation, about the risks of deranged conspiracy theories and dehumanizing political rhetoric. But this is also a story about crime. It's a story about a deranged person breaking into the home of a woman he sought to harm, and attacking her husband. The notion that violent crime is on the rise has left millions of Americans scared, and the GOP has tried to harness the power of that fear. Top Republicans condemned the Pelosi attack. They disputed that rhetoric played any role and instead pointed the finger entirely at the issue of rising violent crime rates. If this weren't Paul Pelosi this criminal would probably be out on the street tomorrow. This is what Democrat policies are bringing. It's a potent issue that Democratic consultants tell me has been effectively used against their Senate nominees in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and North Carolina, as well as other Democrats elsewhere. More than $98 million this election cycle has been focused by Republicans on ads attacking Democrats on crime. That's about $22 million more than Republicans spent on ads attacking Democrats on inflation. Now, each ad, of course, making the case in 30-second sound bites that Democratic policies on crime make us all less safe. Take it from us. Mandela Barnes' policies are a threat to your family. Barnes wants to defund our police. Violent crime terrorizing New York. But while police fight to put criminals behind bars, Sean Patrick Maloney fought to let them out. Lying politician Gabe Vasquez wants to defund the police. We can't trust him to keep us safe. Now, every one of those ads can and should be fact-checked, but the bigger question for us tonight is this. Is life in America actually more dangerous than it used to be? Here's what we know about crime at the national level. After years of decline, national rates of violent crime did rise during the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Between 2019 and 2020, the Trump years, the U.S. homicide rate rose about 30%. That's the highest increase recorded in modern history. Then in 2021, during Biden, the homicide rate rose 4.3%, according to the FBI. But the overall violent crime rate, not only counting homicides, all violent crime, well, that actually declined by 1% nationally, according to the FBI. So nationally, it appears, homicides are up. The overall violent crime rate is slightly down. Regionally, though, where you live, well, that's a mixed bag. Take Oklahoma, with a Democratic candidate for Governor Joy Hoffmeister. She's the one running against Republican incumbent Kevin Stitt on the issue of crime. Let's talk about the facts. The fact is... The rates of violent crime are higher in Oklahoma under true. your watch than it's in New true. York and California. That's a fact. Well, we'll have that oh fact checked gosh. by the frontier <laughs> superintendent. Hoffmeister was mocked by her Republican opponent and even questioned by the moderator. But when the frontier, the Oklahoma City newspaper, fact check her, she was right. And Oklahoma is hardly alone. The major cities' chiefs association says in the first six months of this year, robberies and aggravated assaults increased in cities of more than 500,000 people. But this is where statistics can often be used to make whatever point you want to make. The major city chiefs association says murders are down in aggregate in the 70 urban areas they looked at. But for 30 of those 70, murders are up. And those include Atlanta. There are big races in Georgia right now. And Denver, big races in Colorado. Milwaukee, governor and Senate seats on the line in Wisconsin. When crime rates go up, local prosecutors pushing criminal justice reform policies, they often get blamed. Is that fair? It's usually a lot more complicated than that. Take Boston, where the district attorney stopped prosecuting nonviolent offenses. What happened there? Violent crime decreased by 15% in 2021. And take two cities that increased their police budgets. Indianapolis, Indiana, and Mobile, Alabama. They increased their police budgets and saw an increase in violent crime last year. Now look, the economy clearly ranks as the top issue for voters as we head into the midterm elections in one week. But in the latest polling from CBS News and YouGov, 65% of you said the issue of crime will be very important to your vote. A separate poll released by Gallup last week finds Americans are more likely now than at any time over the last five decades to say there's more crime in their community than there was a year ago. 56% of you say there's more crime where you live now than last year. 56%. And that's a trend that's been building over the last few years since 2020 when Joe Biden was elected. Crime is a big darn deal. It used to be elsewhere, but now it's in our own neck of the woods. We want to move, yes, because of crime. It's, 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 we want out. We live in an area where there is quite a bit of uh, crime, so we, we are concerned about that. Often when voters or journalists or politicians bring up the issue of crime, you'll hear progressive pundits pointing to data that shows crime is down since the 90s, which is true, or some of the data I cited earlier today, and suggesting that this issue is invented by conservatives to scare the public into voting for Republicans. 
Not everyone out there agrees. While according to Pew, only a third of white Democrats say violent crime is important to their votes, a third of white Democrats, 81% of black voters in general say violent crime is important to their votes. There's another important set of numbers uh, for here for you to keep in mind, which might explain why Republicans are trying to capitalize on crime as a campaign issue right now. In that CBS poll I just mentioned, 46% of you said Republicans' policies would make you feel safer from crime, compared with 30% who said that about Democrats' policies. You might be able to attribute some of that imbalance, perhaps, to voters' distrust of Democrats after the whole defund the police campaign. The movement was embraced by some Democratic lawmakers, especially progressives, but pretty firmly rejected by candidate and ultimately President Joe Biden. I'm totally opposed to defunding the police officers. It's not surprising, therefore, that Republicans might lean into this divide among Democrats. Travel with me to Georgia right now, where Republican Governor Brian Kemp is trying to fight off a challenge from Democratic candidate Stacey Abrams. In their final debate two nights ago, Kemp repeatedly invoked defund the police in his attacks against Abrams. Ms. Abrams that has said that she wants to defund the police. You go check the record. Because Ms. Abrams on CNN got asked the question, would she defund the police? And she said, yes. For the record, Abrams told CNN in June 2020, yes to some defunding if need be, though she said she found the overall question a false choice. But is it? To the West Coast now, to Oregon. Democrats have controlled the governor's mansion there since 1987, but that could change next week. The Republican has a decent shot there, partially because voters are unhappy about crime rates in Portland, where we've seen riots and crime, frankly, out of control. Lifelong Democrat George Carrillo told the newsletter Common Sense that he barely recognizes Portland anymore, saying, quote, here in Oregon, look outside, you see the homelessness, people dying in the streets from overdoses, people having psychotic breaks. It's in shambles right now. It wasn't always like this, unquote. And this year, he says he's voting for the Republican candidate for governor. In Colorado, a state Joe Biden carried by 13 points, Republicans say they see an opening to unseat Democratic Senator Michael Bennett. And rising megastar Ron DeSantis has cut an ad for Republican candidate Joe O'Day, where DeSantis mentions, you guessed it, crime. Colorado needs new leadership. Joe's focused on building the wall and cracking down on crime. We'll talk to O'Day in just a moment. When you watch political TV ads on crime, you might not even hear any real solutions being proposed, ones that would make a difference. You might just hear pablum. But you also might be comforted to hear someone out there even acknowledging that it's a problem, that it's a fear. All politics are local, goes the cliche. And when it comes to crime, that is especially true. Local as in here. Your personal experiences might not be reflected in data. If you don't feel safe, if you or someone you care about has been accosted or assaulted, that's your experience. Fear is primal. It's a crucial emotion. It mobilizes us to respond to life or death situations, avoiding danger at all costs. You can hear the data. Violent crime might be down in your area, but if you feel there's a threat, that's real to you. And emotions motivate voters. 
Joining me next, the Senate candidate we mentioned a moment ago, Joe O'Day is one of the many Republicans running on crime. He's also running away from Donald Trump. Might that end up hurting him in his purple state of Colorado? We'll ask him right after this. Can a Republican candidate who is not in Trump's good graces win a Senate seat? That is a big question in the purple state of Colorado, where businessman Joe O'Day, a moderate Republican, is seeking to unseat incumbent Democratic Senator Michael Bennett. O'Day first drew Trump's ire after he said this. I don't think Donald Trump should run again. I'm going to actively, I'm going to actively campaign against Donald Trump. Adding more salt to Trump's wound, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis giving O'Day his full backing despite his bashing of Trump. This prompted the former president to issue an all-caps response on his Truth Social platform, calling it a big mistake. Joe O'Day joins me now to talk about this and much, much more. Joe, good to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Trump has directly attacked you. He's called you stupid. He's called you a rhino, meaning Republican in name only. I I know it's all silliness, but... Are you worried at all that his attacks could hurt your chances of winning? You need Trump supporters to turn out to vote for you uh, through Election Day next week. Jake, I, I said what I said. I'm, I'm not worried about it. I'm, I'm worried about the next seven days. We've got one heck of a race we're running here. This race is going to be a referendum on Joe Biden and what he's done to our economy, what he's done to crime, what he's done to our border, what he's done to the price of fuel, the price of groceries. That's what people are talking about here. And Michael Bennett, he votes with him 98% of the time. Heck, I love my wife dearly, but I don't agree with her even 98% of the time. There was a point that Senator Bennett made in last week's uh, debate. Take a listen. He voted for Donald Trump twice after the children were separated from their parents at the border after he said, Trump said that, President Trump said that there were both sides, there were good people on both sides of Charlottesville. In that same debate, you ultimately said you would vote for Trump again if he were the nominee. Did it bother you when Trump said very good people on both sides in Charlottesville? Did the family separation policy of the Trump administration, did that bother you? Well, I believe Obama started that policy, to be quite frank with you. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you look back at where our economy, if you look back where our economy was here uh, 22 months ago and some of the policies that were in place, uh, fuel was affordable. We had a great economy. I know my guys, I'm a contractor, been working uh, for 40 years and my guys' wages were surging. They were making more than they'd ever made. And, and, you know, we had China kind of pushed away. So I I liked what he was doing there. Um, And I got to tell you, Joe Biden has undone every one of those policies. We got a border that uh, is leaking like a sieve right now. We got fentanyl coming straight up I-25, according to the uh, police here in in town that I've been backed by, uh, the Denver Police Union. And they're telling me that, you know, this border's leaking. And you look at the policies one after the other, and I got to tell you, uh, we're not in good shape right now, and people are ready for change. That's why I got in this race. I was really worried about where our uh, United States was headed, and, and, and I'm going to win on, on uh, next Tuesday. I'm, I'm fired up. So let's talk about uh, immigration. You've been hammering Democrats and Senator Bennett for not doing enough to solve the border crisis. It is a crisis. Trump didn't solve it either. Uh, It seems to many observers uh, that the solution would lie in a comprehensive bipartisan immigration reform bill, 
something that can pass the House and the Senate, get signed by President Biden. And that would include more border security and also a way to deal with the millions of undocumented immigrants already here. Now, I've been in Washington, D.C. for a long time covering this stuff. Every time it's been attempted, House Republicans have sunk the bill. Every time, even if it was a Republican president like President Bush pushing it, Democratic president gets, gets through the Senate, House Republicans sink it. Don't Republicans share some of the blame here? Well, all I know is that I'm going to run that bill. We're going to make sure we secure the border. We're going to add border patrol. We're going to make sure the DACA kids are taken care of. And we're going to streamline our immigration system. It's pretty simple. I'm going to put that bill in front of uh, uh, the Senate and make sure I get 60 signatures on that bill. And then I'm going to go over to the House and I'm going to work really, really hard with House representatives to make sure we can get something done. This is a humanitarian uh, crisis of epic proportions. I was just down in Brooks, Texas here with the sheriffs down there, and those guys are exhausted. They found a hundred bodies uh, that have passed away uh, in the last year, and, and, and they found that two years in a row. That's something that we just can't ignore. We've got to fix this border. I have to ask you about something you said uh, on Meet the Press uh, last month to my friend Chuck Todd. Take a listen. Are you comfortable with the idea of using migrants as a political tool? Well, look, I, 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 think, uh, I think Ron DeSantis and, and, and Governor Abbott were right to bring some uh, visibility to this issue. Look, I don't take any issue with wanting to bring visibility to the issue of the border. Sure. But I want to make sure I understand what you're saying here. Do you think it was right for them to ship off migrants under false pretenses into other parts of the country? That part of it, not just bringing attention to it, but that part of it, was that the right thing to do? Well, I know that President Biden's shipping them all over the country right now in airplanes. Nobody said a word. Every state is a border state right now. We've got a humanitarian crisis down there, the epic proportion. And I believe uh, Senator or uh, uh, Governor Abbott, Governor DeSantis, you know, they're trying to bring some attention to this because the failed policies of Joe Biden and Michael Bennett's right with him. Ninety eight percent of the time he has failed because he's with his president instead of stepping out and getting something done. And, and we need change. And that's why I got in this race. I want to turn to another issue of particular importance to Coloradans, gun violence. It's been 10 years since the Aurora massacre, 23 since Columbine. I could go on and on with all the horrible gun acts of, uh, acts of gun violence in, in your state. It's federal law that you have to be 21 to purchase a handgun. You, unlike Senator Bennett, you do not support raising the age limit for purchasing a, a semi-automatic weapon, however, the kind uh, used in Uvalde and in other massacres. Why should an 18-year-old be able to purchase a semi-automatic weapon before he's even mature enough to buy a beer? Look, this is about crime. We don't need any more gun laws. What we need is more cops. And this is about uh, Michael Bennett and Joe Biden having the wrong priorities. Here they passed this Inflation Reduction Act, 87,000 new bureaucrats for the IRS, instead of focusing that money on getting our border under control, focusing that money on putting more cops on the ground here. Yeah. Uh, Colorado had one heck of a weekend. I got to tell you, we had 12 shootings this weekend, and we lost some Coloradans. Crime's at an all-time high here. Yeah, but w why should a 19-year-old be able to buy a semi-automatic weapon when he can't even buy a beer or a handgun? That's my question. Well, he can sign up and go into our military. Um, so I just believe we don't need any more gun laws. What we need is more cops. You, I'm, I'm sure you know of all the training that uh, enlistees uh, 
undergo when it comes to how to use a firearm. Joe O'Day, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy your last week on the, on the campaign trail. Well, thanks for having me on, Jack. I really appreciate it. Political attack ads are in full force with a week to go. They're usually nasty. They can twist the truth. I think we might have found the most dishonest spot to ever hit the airwaves. Maybe. That's next. We want to show you perhaps the most dishonest TV campaign ad we've ever seen. Some politicians think they should control your child's education. We're trying to indoctrinate our students in communism. Jay Chen is running for Congress to represent Southern Californians. The National Republican Congressional Committee is running that ad depicting Chen saying, quote, we're trying to, indoct- we're trying to indoctrinate our children into communism, unquote. But here's what Chen actually said. You know, I'm going to be a recipient of some of these attacks, unfortunately. They're going to be claiming that because our school district was teaching Chinese, that meant we were trying to indoctrinate our students in communism. Literally, that will be one of the points of attack. I mean, wow. Now, look, political ads have never been known for subtlety or nuance. Lines from newspapers are lifted without context. Comments are dishonestly edited. The complexity of governance reduced to the scariest possible interpretation. The closer we get to election day as races tighten, the the more we see things go negative. Take, for example, this ad against Herschel Walker. The first time he held the gun to my head, he held the gun to my temple. Now, Herschel Walker's ex-wife did say that. But what you probably don't know is that she said it while sitting for an interview in support of Herschel Walker, they sat together to discuss his struggle with mental illness. He was right next to her. Kind of an important part of the story, no? News agencies such as CNN have teams of fact-checkers calling out the lies, and I could spend the rest of this hour fact-checking ads running across the country right now in various races, Democrats and Republicans, and that's the rub. Campaigns No, they win the repetition game. You're way more likely to see a dishonest ad playing in heavy rotation than you are to read or listen to a fact check such as this one. We have all sorts of laws about what you can say and can't say in a television commercial. There are rules about how loud a commercial can be and what foods can be called healthy, even what made in America actually has to mean. Generally speaking, You can't just lie in a commercial. The FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, make sure that the company behind the slap chop can back up what they claim in their infomercials. But those anti-lying rules do not apply to politics. The FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, has no such rules for political ads. And there's nothing your local television station can do about it by law. Stations that broadcast over the public airwaves cannot alter or reject any ad from the candidate. In 1972, Atlanta TV stations were not allowed to reject this hate-filled TV ad from a white supremacist running for the Senate. I am J.B. Stoner. I am the only candidate for United States Senator who is for the white people. Off there, because he went on to use the N-word several times. The FCC ruled back then that local TV stations had to air that ad from the candidate, and that same rule applies today. 
bipartisan federal legislation to crack down on demonstrable falsehoods, that's gone nowhere. Because look, who gets to decide what's a lie and what's not, given how fast and loose so many politicians are? So for the next week and the foreseeable future, you can have more faith in a Chia Pet commercial than what a political campaign says in its ads. That's ads. When it comes to robocalls, as we head into the stretch of the midterm election, wait until you hear what some state Republican parties are telling voters in places such as Michigan. Michigan Secretary of State is here. She's a Democrat trying to hold on to her seat. Stay with us. In Arizona, Republican voters are getting robocalls such as this one. Vote Republican from top to bottom in every race as soon as your ballot arrives and return it by mail or drop it off in person at an early voting center. In Michigan, the GOP calls sound like this. You can return your ballot in person at your local clerk's office or return through the postal service or deliver it to a drop box. The Republican parties in both states, Michigan and Arizona, paying for those calls. And honestly, that's great, encouraging voters to participate. It's a wonderful thing. The problem is the Arizona chair of the Republican Party constantly tweets nonsense such as, quote, all mail-in voting is a recipe for abuse, fraud, and the loss of election integrity. At the same time, they're paying for that robocall. And in Michigan, the party's nominee for governor says on her webpage she wants to ban drop boxes, the very ones referred to in that Michigan GOP robocall. The Republican who wants to oversee Michigan's next election as Secretary of State, Christina Caramo, has made election conspiracies the centerpiece of her campaign. We asked her to come on the show tonight. She declined. The person who did accept our invitation is her Democratic opponent, who must oversee this election as Michigan's current Secretary of State, Democrat Jocelyn Benson. Uh, welcome, uh, Secretary of State Benson. Thanks for, thanks for being with us. W- what is your assessment, what's your take on the fact of these public... Republicans, public officials or party chairs saying a bad mouthing early voting, vote by mail, et cetera, while secretly the parties are telling their voters voters to participate in it. Well, it underscores first, thanks for having me and, and shedding a light on, on this really you know challenging moment that we're in. I mean, really what this underscores is that these lies, these conspiracy theories, it's a political strategy. And it's one particularly designed to cause people to lose faith in there are elections while at the same time making sure, you know, some uh, misinformation continues to flourish. Uh, and it's really egregious, and it's, it's reaching egregious heights. I mean, my opponent recently filed a lawsuit against uh, Detroit voters trying to get absentee votes thrown out, uh, even though Detroiters and every citizen in Michigan has a right to vote absentee under our state constitution. So it's really reached new heights of egregiousness, but also we have to remember these are people who know better, uh, that are campaigning on lies as a political strategy to gain power so that they can potentially stand in the way of the will of the people in the future. Does your opponent actually know better? She seems pretty out there. Well, I think the truth has been abundantly clear for years. Uh, We have, along with uh, Republican state senators like Ed McBroom, made sure that people have access to the facts. Our elections are run in a transparent and secure manner. Anyone who sincerely candidates or otherwise want to know the truth about our elections or 
welcome to find them in many ways. Uh, yet at the same time, we see really politicians and, and the, the top three Republican candidates for Republican, for Governor, Attorney General, and Secretary of State in Michigan are all peddling election lies and have in many ways built their careers on doing so in an effort to, in my view, gain control over our elections for the future and ensure that the people's will uh, doesn't stand in the way of their own partisan agenda. And it doesn't just, uh, it doesn't just fuel skepticism in elections. You've seen this incite anger uh, outside your own home. Armed protesters uh, showed up outside your home. Um, How concerned are you in this era about people who hear these conspiracy theories, these lies, and feel compelled to take it to the extreme? Obviously, uh, the governor of Michigan was threatened uh, with a kidnapping, and, and people are doing jail time for it. It's exactly right. I mean, people have to understand these words these hateful threats, this violent rhetoric, it has consequences. It's not just spreading lies. It's not just spreading false conspiracy theories. It's also putting people's lives at risk and our families' lives at risk, as we've seen play out in the tragedy uh, with Paul Pelosi. So I have personally seen an uptick in threats over the last few days. We We will anticipate they'll continue. And it's tragic because it's all just rooted in lies and lies that politicians are spreading to gain political power. And they need to realize these lies have consequences and they are consequences that are real, they're harmful, and, you know, God willing, never become deadly. But it certainly feels that, that sometimes we're on the, uh, at the risk of that um, terrible thing coming to fruition. So your Republican opponent is one of more than 10 election liars uh, running for secretary of state around the country. That, those are the people in charge of elections in those state, what would it mean uh, if they they win? If any of them win uh, their races and become the secretaries of state, I think three things. One, we'll certainly see them use these platforms, these very powerful platforms of election officers, to further conspiracy theories and lies, to sow seeds of doubt, uh, to, delig- to delegitimize our democracy. They'll also change the rules to make it more confusing for voters to participate in our elections, as well as make it more difficult for us to run fair and secure elections. And then they will stand in the way, potentially, as their actions in the past have shown, of the certification of fair election results simply because they disagree with them. All those three things combined mean really a dismantling and delegitimization of democracy in our country. And that's why we say quite clearly democracy is on the ballot this November. Almost twice as many absentee ballots have been requested in Michigan compared to the last midterm election in 2018. So as a practical matter, it does not, uh, I mean, it seems like Michigan voters do have faith in in voting by mail. Yeah, and that's really the, the crux of the moment that we're in. We're seeing enormous enthusiasm on both sides of the aisle here in Michigan and other states. Enormous enthusiasm for voting absentee, voting by mail, despite the mountains of conspiracy theories and falsehoods that have flowed to try to discourage people from voting by mail if they choose to do so or voting absentee. And at the same time, all of this very good stuff, a very secure election process is set up and ready to go. Voters enthusiastic to participate is happening alongside election deniers running for office and spreading misinformation about our democracy. So I'm both hopeful and optimistic about the week ahead in our elections this fall, but also very soberly minded of the challenges that we may face as we seek to ensure that every voice is heard and every vote is counted. We've heard, just to change subjects for one second, we've heard uh, from a number of Democratic candidates uh, and also in polls from Democratic voters who who like President Biden just fine, but don't want him to run for re-election. They think he's too old. That's the number one reason. He was in Florida earlier today. He, He got noticeably confused. He mistook the Russian invasion in Ukraine for the American war in Iraq. He corrected himself. 
And then in trying to correct himself, he, he mis- mistaked uh, where his son Bo uh, died. Take a listen. Inflation is a worldwide problem right now because of a war in Iraq. Excuse me, the war in, in Ukraine. I think of Iraq because that's where my son died. It's not where his son died, although I know he does personally blame burn pit exposure, his son having burn pit exposure for his son's death of, of brain cancer. Don't you think President Biden uh, might be hurting Democrats uh, with what seem like cognitive slips out on the campaign trail? I think the, the real choice in this election is one between truth and lies. And we have to stay focused on that, in my view, especially in these waning days of the midterms. Truly, the future of our democracy and our fundamental rights and freedoms are on the ballot, not just in Michigan, but in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, in Georgia, in Arizona, in Nevada. That's what we should be focused on and talking about. And that's what I've been seeing voters want to hear. That's what they care about. They're seeing that concern. And I hope that every voter in this country knows that the votes and choices they'll be making this fall will determine our ability to protect their voices and votes in the years ahead and the future of our democracy in this country. Secretary of State Benson, thank you so much. Appreciate your time today. Have fun out there in the last week of the campaign. On the heels of the yay, a.k.a. uh, AKA Kanye West disaster, another anti-Semitism storm is erupting. Uh, Basketball star Kyrie Irving Uh, still is not apologizing for promoting a movie littered with lies about Jews and Judaism. Some sports fans not letting Kyrie Irving go unanswered. Rich Eisen also isn't holding back. He's here next. Stay with us. Today, the general manager of the Brooklyn Nets basketball team addressed the controversy surrounding one of the team's star players, Kyrie Irving. We are involved with the ADL and getting, um, and getting their advice and, and, and just hopefully um, they can advise us. We can bring something to the table that both parties, all parties can be uh, at least understandable to one another here and, and understand that um, there is no tolerance and no room for any hate speech, any anti-Semitic remarks whatsoever. <laughs> no tolerance except for the very tolerance he was just showing. His comments were more direct than the statement from the Players Union, which failed to mention Kyrie Irving by name. The point guard, whose name is synonymous with controversy, is once again under fire, this time for refusing to apologize after tweeting a link to a hideously anti-Semitic documentary containing all sorts of anti-Jewish bigotry, including a false quote attributed to a former Senate aide who had been murdered by terrorists in 1976, a quote attributed to him concocted by white supremacists in 1978 was in that film. Kyrie Irving is unrepentant. He's accusing his critics of dehumanizing him. That prompted my next guest, sports anchor Rich Eisen, to make these uncharacteristically personal remarks on his show yesterday. You're dehumanizing me, Kyrie. I'm a Jewish man, okay? Descendant of people who died in gas chambers and got incinerated by Nazis. You're dehumanizing me by putting on your platform a book and a movie that is filled with anti-Semitic tropes, but when you put it in front of four million people who might not have already heard about it or know about it, you're promoting it. 
And my friend and NFL Network host, Rich Eisen, joins me now. Uh, Rich, I was very proud of you uh, when you did that, uh, and I I thought it was uh, really powerful. When you heard Kyrie defend his post the way he did defensively, saying you're dehumanizing me, what was your reaction? Well, I I, I thought of my kids, Jake. I've got a 14 and 11 and a 9-year-old, and when I was their age, I had grandparents who told me about their direct relatives being killed by the Nazis just for being Jewish and the fringe conspiracies about the Holocaust not being real were exactly that on the fringe. And now this day and age, uh, my 14, 11 and nine live in a world where every single day generations who lived through the Holocaust or knew somebody who lived through the Holocaust Um, those generations die off and we get further and further away and the fringe conspiracies, the misinformation can be seen on a phone. Uh, Media back when I was 14, 11 and nine didn't put it out there. Now social media is an easy way to get it out there and the normalization of it for Kyrie Irving to put it on his Twitter account in the same way that he did maybe years ago to promote Uncle Drew, which by the way is a movie I enjoyed from him. Uh, and other things that he does charitably uh, is normalizing it, and that makes it dangerous and particularly frightening. Yeah, those conspiracy theories are part of what led to the Holocaust, uh, and it's what leads to violence, uh, conspiracy theories about all sorts of groups, blacks, Jews, gays, etc. Now, he maintains his posts are not a promotion. I I get the sense from him that he he thinks he's smarter than everybody, like he can trick us, he can can outsmart us by saying it's not a promotion. He has 4.6 million Twitter followers, why is he doing this? I don't know, um, other than the fact that uh, at this point you have to think he truly does believe what this documentary is saying. And um, until we hear otherwise, we just have to assume that. And look, he, 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 I, 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 as I said in, on my show, I, I, I don't think he, he needs to be told and explained how, how promotion works when you put something on your Twitter feed you're telling people, check this out, and thus you are supporting it. So look, I, I just want in this day and age where things are so easily placed in the mind's eye of people who can be influenced, that's what the whole concept of being called an influencer is, I want to use whatever influence I may have to push back and say this normalization is not right. Because if you don't speak out and you let the normalization sink in, then suddenly everybody else can think you believe whatever is happening is cool too. I'm seeing, again, what Kanye said. I thought Adidas acted way too um, uh, blithely. They did not act fast enough, but they eventually did. And in the meantime, now we saw uh, beamed onto the stadium where the world's largest cocktail party, as it's called, between Georgia and Florida, the words Kanye was right about the Jews, was beamed on the side yeah. of a stadium. And then on the side of a building in Jacksonville, uh, we're seeing it uh, with folks who feel easily compelled to place it on these placards on top of overpasses. I saw on Twitter, somebody walked into yeah. a bar in Soho dressed as a Nazi. These are all people of generations who think it's cool or the normalization of it makes them feel more comfortable or they just really don't understand what the hell did happen decades ago, Jake. So we're running out of time, but just quickly, what do you think the Nets should do? Because their mealy mouth responses have been really pathetic. 
Well, I, I think that Kyrie Irving should be held to account. Um, I do believe he should be held to account and have to explain himself other than just barking back and forth with a reporter and saying he didn't promote this. I'd like to hear exactly what he's talking about. And there have been some people like Charles Barkley, a colleague of ours, uh, certainly in your uh, end yeah. of the business Sir out Charles, there yes. um, with CNA. Sir Charles said tonight he thinks that Kyrie should be suspended because others have been suspended for hate speech and other uh, other ways. I'd love to see that as well, um, because anti-Semitism is just as hateful as anything else there is in the world with hate speech. And I'd love to hear more people in my end of the business and the media to speak out about it. Well, that's why we brought you on today to speak out about it. My friend Rich Eisen, host Thanks, of the brother. Rich Eisen Show on the Roku channel. Love to your wife and your beautiful children. We'll be right back. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the TikTok at Jake Tapper. Tomorrow, we will talk to late night star Jimmy Kimmel. He's going to join us to look at the week's midterms and talk about the state of late night. That's tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern, only here on CNN. Our coverage continues now with Laura Coates, who is like the, the Reese Hoskins of CNN, and Allison Camerata, who's like the Bryce Harper. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.